Hi, I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English Lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow Lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. Hi, Sadie. Hi, Audra. Uh, so we are back and wrapping up our discussion on The Villa, uh, a novel by Rachel Hawkins. So uh, definitely still have lots, I think, to talk about, even yeah, though if it sure. was a little bit more of a lighter plot, kind of easy beachy read. I think it still brought up lots of great discussion. So I'm excited to get back into it. Um, before we do, though, would you like to let everybody know what our next... Discussion will be centered on, so you guys can go pick up a copy from your bookstore or bookshop.org. Yes. So our next book pick is a nonfiction book. It's called How Far the Light Reaches, and it's by Sabrina Imbler. And this book is, well, I guess there's a subtitle, sorry. How Far the Light Reaches, A Life in Ten Sea Creatures. So that kind of explains it. Each each chapter is kind of like an essay on a different sea creature and you know, basically how it survives, but it's also kind of like part memoir and like personal experience by the writer, Sabrina Embler, who is a like science journalist, um, in a very cis white male dominated field. And it's just really interesting to see her make connections from her life, um, and her work into, you know, these kind of like abstract lives, um, of these deep sea creatures. It's, I think it's really interesting and I am a sucker for the cover as well. Yeah, I am really enjoying it. I actually wrapped it up yesterday. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about it. I thought it was great. It brought up a lot of things for me. It made me think about a lot of things that I haven't had to devote much time to. And I learned a lot. It was, it was good. So I'm excited to discuss it. So definitely pick up your copy and, get reading on that so that you can listen and maybe join in on our next conversation. Yes. Um, what you drinking? That looked pretty there. I just saw you take a drink. Oh, thanks. Um, Brian made me another drink, which he always does. So nice. He's so, he's so good. Um, it is, I don't even know what to call it exactly. Brian has been interested in like trying new, unique, like liqueurs that we're not familiar with and like trying to mm-hmm. kind of experiment with them. Um, so he picked up a grapefruit liqueur, um, over the weekend and it's really good. So it's, I think it's pretty much just orange juice, lime juice, and then the grapefruit, grapefruit liqueur and then vodka or gin. I'm not actually 100% sure. Um, it's very tart. So Brian likes his drinks tart. This one's maybe a little too tart for me. I would have added in some like honey or simple syrup, I think, if I would have it again. But I, the grapefruit liqueur is yeah. really good. Awesome. Well, I was going to make an Aperol spritz. I made an Aperol spritz last night, and it was delicious. And then today, just time got away from me a little bit. But So I'm drinking um, this can of Original Sin Dry Rosé Cider. Oh, nice. Uh, and it's really good. I love, I really got into ciders a couple months ago. Kendrick had already been into them. And then we took a great class at Caputo's in downtown Salt Lake. That was all about cider. And there's just some really, really good cider out there. And I don't know why, I mean, it's getting more popular, but yeah. uh, really good. So I really like this one. It's delicious. Uh, so did not put as much effort into it, but it is really good. 
No, it sounds really good. I'm always, you know, it's so funny. Like generally I feel like I'm luckier because I live in a place where I can like buy alcohol on Sunday and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. at the grocery store, it's pretty nice. It's pretty cush. But at the same time, I will say that I do think that Utah has slightly more like unique and Mm -hmm. diverse, um, alcohol coming into their state. Like I like that. There's no way that that cider is available here. Like there's just no way. And whether or not it's just that liquor stores like aren't interested in carrying these types of things that would be available here. And maybe I can order them online or something. I don't know exactly, but it's really frustrating. I remember when we went home, even just in like August last year and we went camping, we stopped at the liquor store in Heber, Utah and like I was just floored by just the amount of like canned wine and cider that they had because that kind of thing is just not, it just has not hit the East coast yet or something. Um, but I've also told that Utah just actually has pretty friendly laws for like small cideries and like small wineries mm-hmm. and, and breweries and stuff. So I think that might be one of the reasons, but that looks really good. I'm kind of yeah. jealous. That's the kind of like niche stuff that I wish we had out here more. Yeah, I do enjoy it. It's really good. I'll save some for you. So when you Aww. come out in March, you're so sweet. Um, I also do have to recommend. So last time we recorded, I think I talked about how I was reading um, Ian McEwen's newest novel, Lessons. Yes, yes. So finish that. It's quite an opus. Like it really spans a good amount of time up until present day. Starts um, in like uh, some parts of it, like the 30s and 40s. Um, Really, really good. It's definitely kind of a slow, not not slow in that, I mean, that's not the best way to describe it. It's just a nice long opus about, it it focuses on this one particular person's life and it, Ronald, uh, Roland, excuse me. And it has a lot to do with like um, the Iron Curtain and Mm -hmm. the wall coming down and Germany and it's set in England, but I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I like how it all came full circle and I like, the relationships that it describes and kind of your outlook on what it's like living your life with all these huge events happening around you and how those things affect you and don't affect you. Mm -hmm. Um, so I recommend definitely a big long one, but I recommend. Nice. And I just, I I just go ahead. Go ahead. You go. No. And then I started, it's called, so did you ever watch the Sopranos? So I've like started it. I haven't finished it. And when I say I started it, I mean, I literally watched one episode. And so, but I need to watch it. It's just, it's such a, like, I really need to bite in and dedicate my time to it. Cause I know it's worth it. I think it's worth it. I really liked it when it was out. I was really into it for a while. And then, uh, I really like Michael Imperioli and he was just in the last season of, uh, the white Lotus. And he's, I think he's a pretty creative guy, but he just wrote a novel, the perfume burned his eyes. So I'm reading that and nice. it's interesting cause it's like this teenager who moves to Manhattan, uh, from like Queens and his neighbor in his apartment building is, it's not explicitly stated, but it's stated like it's Lou Reed and he forms this friendship with Lou Reed and I love Lou Reed. So yeah. I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. So it's, it's kind of a catcher in the rye-ish kind of coming of age story. Like it seems it's very reminiscent of that to me, but yeah. it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty good. So I've been reading that and it's, it's a nice little like palate cleanser. Nice. Nice. I finished, yeah. um, what, so what I was going to say was that I had finished the, um, 
like essay collection slash memoir ish by Maggie O'Farrell. I am, I am, I am. Ah, yes. I'm not gonna lie. You I posted actually, about that. I was kind of disappointed. Um, mm. I did make a post about it. I feel like I liked everything individually just fine, but like I felt like I just didn't get much out of it. Like there, I never. I don't know. It, it almost felt like things didn't like really connect story between story in a way that was satisfying. And then there wasn't like a big, meaningful feeling to it in the end. I mean, it's sad, like a lot. And some of the stories were really interesting and um, like it was good, but it just didn't. I didn't feel like it really worked very well as a, like a collection. If that makes sense. Yeah. I was kind of disappointed because she's a good writer and stuff, but I just think it didn't make sense. And I found, I've also found that with stuff like that, like memoirs can be really hit or miss for me because I sometimes get the feeling that it's just very like self-serving or like narcissistic. Mm. And there's obviously a way to do it where I don't feel that way. I don't hate every memoir that I read, but this one- did feel that way. And that was disappointing. It sounds like that's almost a hurdle for you when you get to memoirs. So it's really got to be well done to jump over that like hurdle that is kind of already placed, which I agree. I think memoirs, memoirs would be a really difficult genre to do really well. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, you can, like I've, I've seen where it has been, but I felt like this one Mm -hmm. didn't have very much like self-critique or even like much self-awareness almost Mm -hmm. and there were certain parts of of it that felt you know like a little just repetitive like story to story it's kind of just about how she was kind of just a wild child and didn't want to settle down and needed to leave and like but it was just kind of repetitive so it's I didn't need to get that same information in every single story if that makes sense. And like, I think that was hard for me to kind of get past, but it, I mean, I'm glad I yeah. got it. She's a really good writer. I just think I prefer her fiction. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. One, I mean, I always plug him, but like, so Salman Rushdie wrote a memoir called Joseph Anton and that was his mm-hmm. like alias that he had when he first found out about the fatwa. Mm-hmm. Uh, he picked it from Joseph Conrad and Anton Chekhov and I really liked that one. I think it's well done because he almost kind of writes it as Joseph Anton, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So it's like, I think they work really well when it's obvious. I mean, it's a memoir, but also it's like you're having to create a character that you're writing about with this memoir. And I think that's when it works well because it's, I think it takes away mm-hmm. some of that like self-aggrandizing that can come through. Yeah. Um, or there just needs to be uh, some sort of like through line through it. Like, I, I know yes. some people weren't a big fan, but I really did enjoy like Wild by Cheryl Strayed, which is, you know, like, oh, yeah, I liked it, too. It's mm-hmm. good. And um, and I felt like in that there was at least enough There's like self-awareness. I'm like mm-hmm. not in a good place kind of situation, but also like the stuff with her mom. Like I just felt like it, it had a through line that was worth it, you know, and interesting yeah. enough but this one didn't. And I think maybe it was the format of it, like of it instead of being an true like memoir kind of book, 
having it be chopped up into those kinds of essays, like maybe didn't work. Like I probably would have liked it just fine if I came across each essay individually in the New Yorker or something, you know, but together it yeah, was just much. I agree. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, good to know. Um, yeah. I mean, that's too bad that it wasn't better, but still. Yeah. It's fine. You can't have them all. No, you can't. You cannot have it all. <laughs> um, okay. So should we get into it? Yeah, let's get back into the villa. Um, So one of the things we kind of touched on briefly, but I thought was worth discussing more was, you know, in this novel, Emily is a writer. Mm -hmm. Chess is a writer. um, You've got Mari, who's a writer. Her stepsister is a songwriter. um, And I, I thought, I mean, and then the men, one's a kind of aging rock star and one's trying to break into the biz. But I think there was a lot of, kind of things that got brought up about, you know, publishing and the business side of creativity and artistry, not so much on the, the songs, but like, you don't get as much of it in the story from 1974, but definitely I think with Chess and Emily. And I thought it was interesting because it kind of pointed out, you know, a little bit about there's, there's this percentage where it's coming up with this great idea and putting in the work and like the talent and the story. And then there's this good portion of it that is, you know, uh, publicity and marketing and Mm -hmm. uh, even how social media feeds into it and kind of just being beholden to your publishing house and what you promise and the contracts and what your readers want. And like, you know, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it centers on Emily and how she's supposed to be writing this book in her series, but that's not what she wants to write and she can't write. And it's like, you know, can I write what I want to, which is about you know, what happened in 1974 and this ideas of that she pulls from that. And then same thing with chess where it's almost seems like she doesn't really quite want to be this character that she's become this kind of self-help guru, but she's stuck in it. Right. And it's like, you got to keep coming up with new ways to almost say the same thing. And it's more about the packaging than maybe the content. And then it brings up kind of almost this plagiaristic, thing of her kind of pilfering these ideas from Emily and trying to pass them off as her own. So I just thought it, it brought up some interesting questions about the process that goes in to writing and all that kind of those little dark shadows that are in it where it's not just, you know, yeah. going off on some retreat and writing a masterpiece. Well, it feels like very politicky, like, and it also, there's mm-hmm. a sense that it's also kind of like, as social media has become a part of the publishing injury, like industry as well, mm-hmm. where it's, you definitely feel like chess would never have had her book deal if she hadn't had, you know, 2.5 million followers on Instagram, you know, like it talks yeah. about how she built up her social media presence before she ever was, had published a book. And then, um, I know that like, and then the weirdness with, Emily where it's like it's not just that she writes mysteries it's like she has to fit this like specific subset of the genre which is cozy mysteries so she can't even like really get graphic like with any of these like interesting deaths it always has to be like very clean deaths um because it's supposed to be a quote-unquote cozy mystery um Mm -hmm. so it does feel a lot like that. And then also I like Emily brings up a good point too, where 
um, like chess is at this point in her career where she doesn't actually have to write anything that is good, like, because it'll right. sell, it'll sell no matter what. Yeah. But it's interesting too thinking about that because I think that it made me think about how that's like sad and that's not a good thing. And you'd want only good books to be published and like for there to be some effort and not have it be based on other things. But then it yeah. made me think of this TikTok that I saw a while back where they talked about how the public publishing industry like relies so heavily on these like quote unquote blockbuster books. And that's mm-hmm. like the only reason other books even can be published. Like that publishing houses rely really heavily on books like like John Green books is a good example of like where they're really popular that they just like sell all the time. Everybody reads them. Yeah. Um, so it made me think of that. I was just like, Oh, like, is this really like something that has to exist in the publishing world for us to get the good stuff, which is kind of sad. Yeah. But then it does feel so laced in image in a way that compared to like Mari's kind of story where she kind of was just sort of allowed to be this, you know, one and done author. Right. And kind of could be reclusive. And yeah. ooh, yeah, I like that. It almost and I think it brings up how she kind of had control of her own story, too. She talks about that in the end. Tell me what you thought about that, because I was just a little confused about what was trying to be represented, where it almost made it sound like the book Mari wrote wasn't quite what ha- like, like, you know, what I'm my saying? Where- my impression of it was that she did not actually kill Pierce. That's what I got too. It's like, and then it, you thought that, yeah, but like then the, that's not what happened. It's like she wrote it as like a thought experiment of like a what if kind of thing. But then it's interesting because then Chess and <laughs> Emily read it and then use it to justify murdering Emily's husband. So, Right. It's bizarre. So I, I think that might have, I think maybe the t- attempt in that moment was trying to be like another horror esque moment of like, Oh, they thought mm-hmm. that she did this and they were inspired, but really like this was all, none of that was real. And like, why did they think it was real? Like kind of a situation. Yeah. So it was weird. I agree. It was confusing. Okay. I'm glad it was a little confusing. That's kind of what I got out of it too. But it was interesting because I think that kind of tied into it too about kind of this ownership over a story and the fluidity of the truth. And, mm-hmm. you know, same with kind of tying in with chess and there's this fluidity to the truth of who she is, right? Like what does she actually believe in versus what does she preach and what is her actual life like? I mean, the actions she take just do not... <laughs> mesh well with someone who's this self-help I've got all my shit together I'm I know how to Mm -hmm. operate life kind of a person like she just seems like a straight up mess which is fine but it's like she so I thought it was interesting because it kind of almost I think it could have gone more there that's the thing with the the book I think there were lots of interesting things that it kind of brings up but it just doesn't go very deep into it so and that's very what's surface separate. But th- level. It could have yes. could have gone harder in some of these interesting themes and questions. Like especially about chess being such a like chameleon, really. Like mm-hmm. as far as what she thinks and she believes. And then I also thought like I would have liked more 
discussion about like the way that Chess's career like panders to women who don't yes. feel empowered, but it's like only women need like books like this. Like that's what I kind of got was like the criticism that she's just writing about women and telling women how to succeed and like trying to empower them. But it felt very like, I mean, that kind of stuff to me just kind of feels condescending to a certain extent. Yes. You know? No, totally. It, it, she definitely, that's the thing. We talked about this a lot last episode, but she's not a very appealing character. No, she like and relies on other people's insecurities. Really? Like that's her job. Yeah. yeah it's, it, and that was hard too because it like we talked about with Emily like not understanding why she was so into her ex-husband I'm yeah. also like why are you so into chess like yeah why do you keep making like, excuses for this person <laughs> like it's wild yeah like none of I was like for I mean you guys have been friends this long you might as well like it, if you if she's like this go sell stories about her you know what I mean like yeah I don't know I feel like it could have been like that was kind of one of the other things that this book made me think of is it's kind of a soapy book, right? Like the stories are kind of, yeah. but it all, it needed to lean into it more. Like I wish it would have been even campier. Like, you know, yeah. if they're, if they're this, if they're these kind of friends, have them really be that where it's almost something out of like a Bravo reality show, you know, or they're these frenemies. Like I really wish it would have almost leaned into some of these mm-hmm. things more mm-hmm. and it would have been a little more fun. Cause it definitely wasn't, uh, suspenseful no not (laughs) at all it wasn't it wasn't much of a mystery and it while the setting we talked about kind of gave it this gothic feel Mm -hmm. it wasn't really that so like it just didn't quite go far enough in all of these different areas and that's Mm -hmm. what made it just not quite as enjoyable as I was hoping for like I agree we're gonna do it like let's do it you know right like give me the actual murders do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, give me what really yeah. happened. Tell me how Pierce really died. Like, it, you, okay, like we get like these kind of two different versions, but then one of them, like kind of both of them is like a gotcha. And then you're just left feeling confused. But also I want to see Chess and Emily murder someone. Like that's the right. biggest crazy thing that happens is that they fucking read this book and then decided to go murder her ex-husband. Like it's crazy. And yeah, it rushed really quick through that of like Matt getting there. It's like, oh, he just cut like it's just here. And then like they look at each other and then they're just like, oh, we know what we got to do. And then cut to black and then it's like all done. And they have this book published and somehow nobody investigated this guy's death. Like it's crazy. It's just so it's just bizarre. It's it's truly kind of just a bizarre way of going through the book. And then I also think that they should have like. I can see it, but I, like you said, I wish it had gone a little, gone a little harder in recognizing Emily's, um, kind of hypocrisy in her judgment of chess because she kind mm-hmm. of judges chess for being this self-help author and like a slave to the industry and the way that she is of just like seeming really disingenuous and fake. But then at the same time, she's you know, she's kind of this, she's a slave to the industry too. And she's just writing what people tell her she fits in and she's put in this box. And I think that she doesn't really recognize that she's maybe to a lesser extent in a really similar position as chess is, um, of needing to appeal to a very specific group of people 
and like the pressure to do so. Um, she, yeah, she really just didn't have very much self-awareness. And we talked about that a little bit last time of just yes. that being an aspect we didn't like about her. Yeah. Like, and uh, yeah, it just never, it, it, they, none of them were, they either needed to be much campier characters, like much more caricatures mm-hmm. or have them be more self-aware, fully developed people. I think to like really get into it. it either, either, excuse me. It either needed to be much more entertaining for me mm-hmm. or something that I could really just grasp onto more and like think more about the characters and like have some investment in them. Yeah. I did think it was interesting. Um, like kind of talking about industry and how, um, it doesn't really get into it nearly as much in the flashbacks to the seventies, but like just this sense of kind of mediocrity being like Mm -hmm. the standard, you know, and whether that be with chess and how she can have a New York times bestseller without, really producing anything of merit, you know, like it just doesn't matter at that kind of point. But it also made me think about just the rock stars and how Pierce is given this like opportunity, but maybe he's just like a subpar musician, but then they all like look at Laura and they just are super condescending and they don't think that she has any skills. And Mari does this with her too. Like thinking that she has no skills. They don't take her seriously. Like there's no way that her writing and her playing is on par with these rock stars who, you know, are spending all their day just like doing drugs and like trying to write music, but really like they're not getting anywhere. But then she goes and she's creates this like beautiful album and it's disorienting for even like Mari when she like, she thinks it's Pierce. Like she just assumes it's Pierce who's playing but, yeah like it was Laura and um so yeah I th- like I really got this sense of like the industry kind of like putting more stock into kind of fame slash mediocrity than mm-hmm. like talent and stuff and then yeah. it made me also think about like how you know, would Mari and Laura have been as successful if they didn't have this weird, crazy event that like led to them writing what they wrote? So like without the publicity of this being having been a murder and a famous musician right. being murdered, not just some random person being murdered, you know, how would that have changed like their career trajectory? Yeah, I agree. It's interesting to think about that. Like what, what makes, what makes something a part of like the zeitgeist and like what kind of what determines where it falls in that, right? Like what made, you know, obviously these were talented girls and obviously Chess and Emily are, are are talented. So it's interesting to think about how, how much more has to go into it. And then, even with that, it's like these really talented women and then these men in the story in both 1974 and in modern day are on this periphery. However, there's still such like this central force to what these women do and how, you know, and there's all these other things that they have to contend with due to the men in their lives. And so I thought that was interesting too, especially when you, you know, you think of I'm really stretching to try and find like connections, right. With (laughs) Percy and Mary Shelley. But I mean, you could look at it that way too. Like 
yeah. Mary Shelley had all this talent and wrote this amazing work, but then her husband's the one that was more popular. Right. And like, I think how often mm-hmm. we talk about Mary Shelley in conjunction with Percy Shelley, like it's always brought up of, and part mm-hmm. of it's because it was so unique at the time, but it really wasn't unique. It's just women didn't get published like that. And she was so young. And so that, just, and, and like her father and like her father was like a mm-hmm. famous author. And like, that's part of what brought her around that environment as well. And then like, you know, you think about her mother, she's kind of like a, a modern day Nepo baby in the literary world. But at the same time, it's that's her, true. it's her work that carried through and like stood, has stood the test of time. So it's, that is an interesting to think, thing to think about. And then, you know, like part of the best part of Frankenstein and Mary Shelley is the story of how it was created and how she outwrote these men in this house on a stormy night. Like, it's just, that's part of Mm -hmm. the, like, I mean, it kind of gets this sense of like it being like a victory story of like her being so young and like outshining these men that the world renowns, you know, but then all of the complicated things that go into her having to be a published author, you know, that's just headache inducing and stuff like the different challenges that she has despite her talent. Yeah. And I mean, even like kind of the big, one of the big conflicts in the story is about, you know, Emily writes these novels and she's got this divorce going on and it's like her ex-husband's going to take all of her money. He's taking all of her money. And on top Mm -hmm. of that, whatever she publishes going forward is owed to him. And, you know, I'm certainly not versed enough in the legality of it all, but part of me, when I'm reading this, I'm like, you just need to get a better lawyer because I'm sorry. He doesn't like you this seems like simple to me. You just need a better lawyer <laughs> to not have like, this happen. Where, so, why is her agent not like doing more to advocate for her? Like, I'm sure that these publishers and like these industries like have access and I'm not saying they'd pay for it, but I think at the very least you'd think that she is a published author at this place could be like, Hey, you know what would really help me write the next book? Can you get me in touch with a great lawyer? Like I'll pay for it. Yeah. But like, get me in touch with somebody like this is crazy. Yeah. It just didn't really, uh, again, it kind of falls into that, like not believability part. So again, make it even campier, like make him just super nefarious. It has nothing to do with mm-hmm. the money that he gets from publishing. Make it all about, you know, the affair with, with chess, like really lean into it or yeah. make it believable because that just was hard for me to not just be like, okay, I, I couldn't really feel the tension. And I feel like that was one of the biggest parts tension of the book in the current day story up until you get to understand that chess is basically trying to screw her over. (laughs) Right. Like, I think in some ways I would have enjoyed him not being, not being her ex. Like, I think it would have been way more nefarious if he like had stayed with her and like taken advantage of her and like been duplicitous and like two-faced and been a completely different man with her versus how he is with other people and like what he's doing and manipulating with chess behind her back. Like that would have been way more interesting than him being this vicious ex and then, you know, chess trying to like manipulate Emily into thinking that she somehow is a good friend for cheating with her husband like it's crazy crazy it needed to go again like like you said more dramatic character would have worked better than this kind of like middle ground 
that was Ren. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree, which so a little frustrating with that. But I mean, I it was still enjoy it. Like again, I really did like the 1974 story better than the current one. And I thought it was far more interesting. There's like and I again with what we've already said, it kind of would touch on things and then not go far enough. I wish it would have touched more on um kind of the fluidity of the relationships between yeah. uh, Mari and Lara and Pierce and Noel, Noel. I mean, at one point, you know, Noel and Mari and Pierce have a sexual uh, encounter together. And I liked kind of how it was talked about, mm-hmm. but again, just didn't go far enough. Like it almost was like, I'm going to put this here to be a little tantalizing, but not really going to delve into you know, what maybe that kind of life is like or what those kind of relationships are like and making it. I think it it didn't seem like she was trying to be really salacious with it, but yeah, it, I, again, just wanted more of all of these yeah, things. Yeah, I still feel like it could have been like sexier in a way, which is kind of weird. Like, yeah. Because you can still not, you know, you don't have to give us detail for it to be, like feel really sexy. No. But I also think that like, um, there needed to be more buildup, I think, and yes. that probably would have made it and more a little sexier. And more fallout, to be honest. Like, what do they? Yes. Like, what does she do with Noel next time that she really sees him? And kind of seems like they just move on really quickly, except for Laura. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like it seems like the the focus of like the fallout is more on Laura and and Mari. But I would have been interested to see more of that buildup and the fallout of, between the three of them that were involved in the in the encounter. And then also, like, I wish it just would have been a little bit more clear about, um, you know, like, who was into who. Like, like because it hints at, I mean, they kiss, I guess, like, Noel and, um, and Pierce. But mm-hmm. is this, like, a one-time thing? Is this something that Pierce has done before, you know, cause she kind of acts like it's a one-time thing, but then she, they're like at the beginning of the story before they go to the villa, she talks about how he, you know, had always kind of told her that he wanted her to be more open, um, sexually yeah. and to have more encounters. And so it's interesting, like, okay, why this encounter versus others? Like what, yeah. why was she into it? Because it just kind of felt like all of a sudden she was into it. Yeah, like we just didn't really understand her motivation because you're right, like at the beginning of the story of Mari and Pierce, it's obvious that he and Lara have had interactions and then uh, they're like at their shared apartment and there's a mutual friend of theirs that kind of makes a pass at Mari and Noel or Pierce encourages her, but she, you know, claims she's not interested. And so, yeah, it, it, it made it all seem so common, which is nice, but also didn't really give me much into any of the relationships. Like it just, like it wasn't enough. It just touched on everything, but. Right. Like I kind of was thinking, you know, like, okay, is Mari less interested in participating herself or is she more voyeuristic Is part of the pleasure? The fact that she's watching Noel and Pierce together, you know, is that why she Mm -hmm. wasn't into the guy at the beginning? Because like she didn't maybe necessarily maybe being the participant wasn't part of the poll for her, you know? And like, I just think that there could have been more, could have been fleshed out more that you could have understand even just in like a couple sentences. Like I feel like of understanding why the situation was different and why she was into it when she was there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's obvious she kind of forms more of a relationship with Noel. Like, they kind of have this nice banter, and it seems like he, you know, appreciates her in a way Mm -hmm. that maybe she doesn't always get from Pierce. Which, so, and even at the end of their story in 1974, after, um, you know... uh, the murder. The, the murder and everything. When she runs into Noah later, they seem to, again, still have this kind of banter, you know, a, a recognition of each other. And it would have been nice to have more of that, just like more of the Chess and Emily. Like, how do your relationships mm-hmm. change after, like, a murder? <laughs> right. Like, and what? then, you know, and then I, and that kind of brings in, like, Mari and Laura's relationship of, like, why you get the sense that their relationship really dissolved. Like after they went their separate ways and that Mari tried to connect with Laura and Laura would say like, you know, I understand like what happened felt okay in the moment. And that we were together in that moment, but then, you know, now like it wasn't worth it. Like the, like what happened and the inspiration or whatever that we got from that trauma, like wasn't worth it. Um, So it's interesting to think about them, falling apart because at the end of the book, regardless of kind of which version you believe, whether or not it was Mari that killed Pierce or uh, that maybe Laura and Mari found Pierce together and like got through the trauma together. Um, that moment felt a little bit like triumphant for them as like sisters. Right. But then it doesn't end well for them at the same time. So I feel like that was kind of an interesting, I guess I wanted, I guess I kind of wanted Laura's perspective a little bit and like her perspective on, on Mari and, and why the relationship fell apart after. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think there was a disservice in not getting more out of Lara because at first I, it didn't seem to make much of a difference because she just like didn't seem that central. Yeah. But, but she obviously was. And I think she had just as much of an interesting of a, of a story. And I don't know, I almost, it's, I understand why there's kind of the two stories within, mm-hmm. but I feel like they both kind of had a disservice done to them with it. Does that yeah. make sense? Like it, yeah. it just wasn't enough of either. And then, so too little of both of them didn't make any of it that appealing. Well, and I think even it could have even just been done like in the way that, you know, we get Mari's writing, you know, I wish we'd gotten more of Laura's lyrics, like, and that wouldn't have been hard to put in. Cause it's not like you'd be writing a whole narrative. You could just like put in the lyrics and let, leave it to us to pick it apart what she thought and what she felt. And like, depending on the placement of the lyrics, it could have been more interesting. And there is a little bit of that in, in like, um, chess and Emily looking back and trying to dissect some of the lyrics, but it's, you get maybe like two sections of that versus, you know, theoretically she wrote like a whole album. Um, Yeah. So it would have been, I think that may, maybe is how I would have done it of like, okay, you don't want to give this person like a narrative perspective, but you could still put in some of their opinions or feelings at least in by including their work in there as well. But yeah, I mean, it was entertaining. It was regardless of like any criticism I have, it was entertaining. 
So, yes. And, and it was a, like, I, it was quick to read. It was enjoyable to read. I wanted to know what happened. I mean, and I did, I did kind of like how it ended, even though I wanted more of it. Like it kind of, I'm glad it kind of ended in that weird messy way with Chess and Emily committing this murder and then being tied together in this weird kind of way. Like, like that, it wasn't I did like, like the ending. Right. Like they didn't ride off into the sunset together, best friends forever. Like I liked that kind of sour taste at the end of like, yes, shit, they're that's stuck a, such together. a great way to put it. Like they're stuck together forever. Like this is not like a super happy ending. I did like that. And yeah. I, and yeah. I, I do think that like books like this, like definitely absolutely 100% have a purpose like yes you know like not every book that you read or that we read like on this podcast has to be you know like Pulitzer worthy like it can be just fun and like silly yes and yes um, no it's true so just like trash tv it's okay to read a trashy book oh and I definitely engage in trash tv for sure (laughs) I'm I'm a bravo fan i'm obsessed with it it's like my good palate <laughs> cleanser you know just something it's all about balance right it is like it is some it's just about balance which speaking of there is mm-hmm. a really good show i've been watching that's on apple tv called okay. shrinked and so i really love ted lasso and brett goldstein who's one of the writers and one of the actors on it is one of the writers on oh, this show and hey, it's with Jason it, Siegel and Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. I saw like an interview with Harrison Ford, like a red carpet interview with him and stuff about it. So that's, it's good then. I like it. Yeah. So the first two episodes are already out and then it comes, it's like every Thursday. Nice. Um, but I, I really like it. So, and it's not trash. Like it's, it's, it's good. It's good. And I like, I like the actors in it. I think it's, it seems like it's going to be really interesting. So the gist of it is, uh, Jason Siegel plays a therapist, cognitive behavioral therapist. Harrison Ford is kind of like in charge of the practice. And then I can't remember the actress's name. She used to be a commentator on the daily show all the time. I think it's Jessica Williams, I think is her name. And she's another therapist in it. But anyway, Jason Siegel, his wife, I'm not giving anything away. His wife has died kind of recently Mm -hmm. and he has a a teenage daughter and he is just grieving and not taking care of himself and not really being a present dad either. And he's getting so frustrated with his patients that he like takes one and just basically says, this is what you need to do. Like doesn't let them figure it out on his own kind of takes control of like their (laughs) lives thinking he's helping. And of course it backfires a bit. So it's, it's interesting. I, I'm really Thanks. liking it, so I recommend that. Um, I know that you are not going to be watching The Last of Us, but I would be no. I would be remiss if I've I, heard amazing things, especially this last this episode last with episode. Like Nick Offerman. Oh. I've heard so many great things about how it portrays like a gay couple oh and love, and like I read this great kind of blurb about it, but I just I can't I can't do it, but. Continue, I mean, a part of me just wants you, you should sing its praises. A part of me just wants you to watch like literally just this part where there's no zombies. Like you, I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you the minute to skip to and, and everything just to watch this like love story unfold from beginning to end. Like it was so like emotionally wrecking, but it also, I like, it actually made me feel I know part of your issue with shows like this, not only do you not like horror and like you don't like scary stuff, but 
there is a sense of like the hopelessness. Yes. Like yes. this sense of hopelessness, yes. hopelessness, like the world is shitty already. Like, why do I need to like live in this fantasy world where things are even worse? Like it's awful. But I think that that episode really does such a good job of like showing an example of like why people try to survive in situations like that where like I think when we like I look at a situation like that and I just say kill me now like I just want to die like I would never want to live through that but this show kind of like reminded me like no you would you would try because you love people and like you want to like protect them and it just was so good Audra it was so good so you kind of found it like reaffirming then and I thought it was I I found it hopeful and reaffirming that like that even in literally a zombie apocalypse love is out there and it makes things worth it and things can still be beautiful and even in like this small world that you create within the horror like Mm -hmm. that you're given and stuff like I thought it was it was just the kind of amount of like hope but also like tragedy that you (laughs) would want to read about like it or watch you know like it was it was just it was really well done and I will say I actually really like it because it is a different take than the game so Mm. um the game never explicitly says that these characters were actually in a relationship it doesn't explore that relationship at all and then the ending or like the fallout of what happens with these characters is completely different in the game and I think that they changed it for the better for sure good well that's good I mean like I said and maybe I'll get to that point like because I would like to just, I've heard such watch, great things just about watch it this one episode and then you can stop okay but that sounds good it was good I'll do that it was worth just watching this one that's good to know um anything else you want to talk about with mm. the villa no, I think we covered everything. I yeah, so did. again, it maybe wasn't our favorite, but I definitely see the value in it. Yeah. If you're looking for a nice kind of entertaining, it, something to just, yeah, you don't have to put too much into it, mm-hmm. uh, pick up The Villa uh, by Rachel Hawkins. It's, I I wouldn't, it's not like The Maidens at all. I would say, yes, go ahead and read it. I will yeah. Pull the maidens out of your hand if you have it in your hand. And I'm so tired of seeing it in airports. I know. But this one wasn't quite that like, bad. Speaking so of the go for that. Speaking of the the publishing industry and the like marketing filth that oh, they give us. Right? That per- book is a perfect example of how you don't actually have to be a good book to end up on like lists because it's all paid for by the publishing industry. It's like ridiculous. Yeah. That's true. I mean, it is, it's nice that you can find more and more places, I think, to get recommendations on books or to find out about books that aren't advertised in that way. So it takes maybe just like a little bit of um, digging, but it's definitely there. Hopefully we've given you some ideas on some good books that maybe you don't see advertised all the time because there's just so many amazing things out there. Um, But Anyway, this one, this was a a good one. It's not quite what I thought it was going to be, but um, I'm glad we read it. And I'm really excited for our next pick, um, which is also a little bit different than what we've done before. So um, will you remind everybody what that is? So our next pick is How Far the Light Reaches, A Life in Ten Sea Creatures by Sabrina Imbler. And I think it's going to be very different than anything we've done before, but in a really good way, I think. 
Yes, I'm really excited to talk about it. So um, we will talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.